Blog Talk Radio. We sit in the house and slowly the world we're living in is getting smaller and all we say is please, at least leave us alone in our living rooms. Let me have my toaster and my TV and my steel belt and radio and I won't say anything. Just leave us alone. Well, I'm not going to leave you alone. I want you to get mad. I don't want you to protest, I don't want you to ride, I don't want you to write to your congressmen, but I wouldn't know what to tell you to write. I don't know what to do about the depression and the inflation and the Russians and the crime and the feet. All I know is that first, you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being, God damn it, my life has value. I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! with Punching Left, and we're punching in for our 26th episode. Now, um, that's quite interesting. Uh, 26 episodes. I expect to be joined by my co-host, David German, here in a moment. Um, but I just wanted to talk for a second about that. Uh, we're, we're approaching the end of what we call Season 1. So uh, I think that, uh, you know, we're going to take a, a brief hiatus uh, after this, maybe a month or so, maybe two um, at the most. But uh, I'm currently, <laughs> believe it or not, I'm in graduate school, and I think David's about to enter back into the college ring. Um, plus, both David and I work full-time, so this is not our full-time job, obviously. This is a sort of an amateur operation here. Um, and that explains why we use Blog Talk Radio. Now, um, to, to go back into what I was talking about as far as our 26th episode, you know, we've, we've been through a lot here at Punching Left. I had a lot of stuff going on. Um, and, you know, I think, I think from the very beginning, if you go all the way back, you know, six, three months, three and a half months ago when we started this podcast, um, we weren't sure where it was going to take us or where we would land at. Uh, over the course of this time, we've had a lot of really great guests on, you know, we've had on, uh, um, Stephen Kinsella. We've had uh, Eli Harmon on from the Propertarian Institute. We've had Dr. Bill Warner on. We've had uh, Dr. David Gordon on from the Mises Institute. Uh, guy's brilliant. We've had Dr. Stephen Hicks on. He's another brilliant uh, philosopher. And so we've had a lot of great guests. We've had IANCAP. We've had Pina Shayball. Um, just just tons and tons of great guests and guest hosts have come on, some well-known, some not that well-known. Uh, all of them have outspoken opinions. Some of us have had, you know, great knowledge. Um, and so uh, we've, it's been a, a, a huge privilege to be able to bring this show to you 
uh, on a regular basis. And so, you know, for, for those of you that have stuck by and, you know, listened to our episodes and, and keep coming back, you know, we're grateful. And we certainly appreciate your patronage. We're not getting paid to do this. This is something that we're doing on our own, and we're footing the expenses out of our own pockets. So you have to understand that this is a 100% labor of love on our part. Um, so um, anyway, so I just wanted to say that uh, I'm really, really glad that, that we're out here and able to do it. Um, so, you know, if, if you're able to to uh, listen to all, you know, go back and listen to some of our older episodes, please do. That's the only real uh, financial incentive we have is every time you guys listen to an ad, we get a little tiny smidgen pennies, uh, which ends up going to whatever costs we have to run the show, and it's never enough to cover it. So definitely appreciative of anything. Um But, um, you know, so so it's really, like I said, this is more a labor of love on my part, not David's. Um, and and anybody who can come on, you know, come and call in. You're more than welcome to call in and talk to us. Um, and and just, uh, join, you know, join in on the conversation. So... Um, Hang on, just again. I'm working on something. Having a little bit of technical difficulty here. Yeah. So, so we produce our own shows. We invite the guests on ourselves. Uh, we haven't been as active the last couple of weeks as we normally are. That's uh, just because sort of the real life has kind of intruded <laughs> onto some of this stuff, uh, you know. And so we've all been busy and and got a lot of stuff going on out here. Uh, but but anyway, to go back to this episode, we wanted to to try and discuss um, Tommy Robinson and you know what what we can look forward to coming down the road. Um, and, and you know, as far as the Tommy Robinson episode and and uh, the stuff with this one, where he he was uh, essentially outside of a courthouse in Britain uh, where they had just finished a trial or were in the process of having a trial. Uh, for some for a pedophile ring which is composed of <clears throat> the um, uh, group of those I don't remember how many but it was a fairly large group of, of Muslims and so I guess there's a lot of legal restrictions on uh, filming outside of courtrooms and stuff and so what happens is is that uh, uh, it, it's considered to be somewhat an interference with the trial and so as a result, and, and this is not the first time this has happened to him, um, it would seem to me that uh, he was arrested, not not in this case. I mean, he, he kind of violated some uh, probation or parole he was on, which he had been arrested and went to prison already for this stuff once. And he did it again and ended up getting thrown in prison for it. So uh, it kind of disappeared. And... Um, I don't know. Uh, he's he's been kind of out of the limelight. People wonder what's going on. Uh so it's kind of a weird deal. Um But anyway, um so so like I said, 
uh, I'm going to stop. You might hear some silence here for a second. I'm still I'm having some technical difficulties tonight and trying to work through them. Um, so as I, you know, this is Block Talk Radio. Never goes like it's very rarely does it go like it's planned, but we try. Um, Uh, we had some guests that were supposed to come on, but uh, we had some some issues that intruded onto our show time tonight, and so I'm just trying to deal with some of that and get some of that rounded up. Um. Hang on here, just a moment. We have have anybody coming on at this point? Uh, not sure if we do or if we don't. <clears throat> um, but more than likely, this is going to be our season closer uh, for the first season, uh, and and there's a lot of reasons for that. As I said, I think David just joined us for a minute. Um, I don't know how long he'll be able to be on tonight, but uh, <clears throat> hey, David, how are you doing? Hello. Hey, how's it going? So, so just to make a long story short, uh, I was <clears throat> letting everybody know that uh, this probably this may be our season closer at least for the next thirty days or so to to a couple of months. That we were going to talk about Tommy Robinson and uh, you know that, that we've done this is like episode number twenty six, and uh, we've, there's some technical technical stuff going on. With things that are occurring outside of the show, we don't. Ooh, that's really loud. I don't know what you got going on, but there's something really loud going on. Oh me, yeah, I have to go to my car. Oh okay, yeah, that's cool. Understood, completely understood. Uh, anyway, just letting them know that that uh, there's you know outside life's kind of intruded a little bit to slow us down some on the production of the shows and stuff, and that. Um, you know, but but we'll be back. You're gonna take a take a take a short break for a month or two, uh, and this will be our season closer episode for season one. Probably come back for season two and start start fresh again after after a little bit. You know, we one of the things that I pointed out the first few minutes of the show was that uh, both you and I work full time. Uh, I'm in school. You're about to start school more than likely, um, and we don't we don't receive really a dime for doing this. We do this strictly for fun. We actually pay for some of this out of our own pockets, and uh, we do get a little tiny sliver of advertising revenue, but it's never it never covers the, the cost of the of uh, using Blog Talk Radio or any of the stuff with the show. So it's really more or less uh, a labor of love on our part. It's not something that that we do professionally. Um, and so, so from time to time, the real world sort of intrudes on our ability to to do the show, work schedules, school, family, et cetera, et cetera. So, it's you know, summer, kind of, summertime is usually busy. Yeah, it's def- definitely difficult. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why we're going to go to – we're going to probably close season one with this episode and then move to season two with the, uh, probably like August, 
is what I was thinking. I don't know. What do you think, David? Around August, maybe September at the latest? Probably August, wouldn't you say? Probably around that time. Okay. And so um, uh, for me, what's going on with me is I had taken a break. So so I guess this episode, one of the things we can talk about a little bit, because it's not going to be a real long episode, um, but I, I wanted to point out the fact that uh, I'm I'm back in school, which I had not. I had taken a break for a short time there uh, due to personal reasons, and now I'm back in into graduate school full time. And David, you're about to start start a program too, aren't you? Possibly. Are you not sure yet? Possibly. Or, or heard yet if you possibly. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't. I haven't heard anything. Okay, but you. Expect, I haven't heard anything back you, you yet. Expect, all right, but but if you don't go to school, then one place you'll probably go to school at a different one. Um, and you're oh, yeah, thinking yeah. history, history as your primary focus, like your major. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and see, and I was looking at. I'm currently. Uh, I have a an undergraduate degree in philosophy, and uh, I'm currently working on a master's in government and political theory. Uh, so, so both of us school. David works full time. I work full time. Uh, so uh, that explains one of the reasons why you haven't heard a whole lot of us the last week or so. But anyway, yeah. um, so, so David, is, summer's always go ahead. Summer's always pretty busy for everyone. It's, it's most yeah, busy it's a, time. It's a tough time. Yeah, it's definitely a tough time. People are going on vacation. Things are happening. Uh, you know, family. All the kids are out of school, and just just tons of stuff going on. So, and and I I hope everybody has a great summer this year. Um, definitely look back, look look forward to coming back uh, in August to start to start the program over again on season two. Uh, hopefully, we'll we'll make a few uh, improvements, a few changes in the look and the feel of the program as a whole. Um, you know, and and uh, uh, upgrade. Will become not just go to season two, but become punching left 2.0. Um, yeah. So, uh, David, you have anything that you want to throw out there real quick? Um, not really. Yeah, that's cool. You know, I, one thing I wanted to mention is that I was watching, I was looking uh, uh, online today, and I noticed that if you've ever heard of the uh, libertarian alt right pipeline. Have you ever heard of that, David? You there? Libertarian alt-right yeah. pipeline? Libertarian the alt-right pipeline? You haven't heard of them? No. I I've, I hear of alt-right libertarian, but I, well, I've never heard of the pipeline. Like, well, it's kind of like some kind of show, but uh, they're organizing Unite the Right 2.0. And uh, I guess I guess that's what they're the big thing they're talking about now, and it's going to be in August. So I don't know how we're going to work that. Uh, one of us or both of us, you never know, might might go out to that event just to be there uh, and from a from an observational point of interest and to uh, broadcast maybe from the event uh, to report on what's going on there. Uh, we never know. We just have to wait and see. Who knows? That could be our season opener. We'll wait and see. Um, um, do you do you have a a link to send to um, Orwell? Uh, yeah. Want, Hang on here just a moment. Hang on here just a moment. You might have, you might you might message him on Facebook. Let's see. 
Which I need his email address here. Can can you send like a the link like you sent me like on through Facebook Messenger link? Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. I've got his email. Hang on here. I'm working on it. All right, so I just sent it to him. So he should be getting that any second. Yeah, but so so to to point out, we usually uh, we usually a little more organized than tonight. But just to be honest, quite frank, I have my my full time job kind of intruded on us tonight. Which caused problems, um, which, you know, it happens. But, um, you know, it should be, it should be good. Let's see here. So... He's asking me questions. I have to take it. He can ask me. I'm not sure he's asking me if we have a link for his Discord, but I don't think we really there's a way for us to really supply a link to um, Discord. I told him you're sending him a link via email. Yeah, I did. I did. I sent it to him via email. Um, he's checking. So he may join us any minute. And it's good to have somebody on from the UK. Uh, I did send a message to Anthony Samaroff if so that he could uh, send him a uh, phone number so he could dial in. But it's kind of tough work. But I don't know if I have Anthony's email, and so I can look for it and see if I can send one to him as well. Uh, let's see here. Um. But it's good to have guys on from the UK where the stuff is actually going on with um, with Tommy Robinson. You know, if you're going to have people here, uh, if you're going to if you're going to have a discussion about it, it's good to have people to discuss it with that are right there. Um, I think or, uh, Orwell's from I think Orwell's from Argentina, but he's he's um, he was born in, is he in Britain, right? Yeah. Uh, okay. I thought he was actually from Britain. Um, like as in. Yeah. But. That backwards. That's probably my fault, my misunderstanding too. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I hmm. Let's see here. Well, he's uh, he's definitely knowledgeable about what's going on in the UK most of the time. I think. Um, <clears throat> so I'm, I think he's still a good guest to discuss these topics with. He stays on top of it fairly well. 
So now, kind of just waiting for these guys to connect. Um, so, what is it that you've heard about uh, the Tommy Robinson situation? Do you, what, what kind of information have you heard about it, David? Before, well, you have a few minutes left. He, you he was jailed for jurisprudence, which means he was jailed for um, um, filming a trial in Britain that was, I guess, that was against the law. Uh, but he was revealing uh, a Muslim pedophilic ring. Uh, but uh, I guess he was arrested uh, more so for the jurisprudence aspect rather than um, rather than uh, uh, the Islam. To to what I understand. Well, I think one of the things is, is I think what we're seeing a lot of, and I think Orwell just joined us, uh, is that uh, they're using these things, these laws, as an excuse to try and shut people up. Uh, Orwell, are you there with us? Yes, I am. Hello. How's it going? Going well. So I've got you. David. David's only going to be on for a little while. He won't be on for the whole time tonight. It looks like it'll be you and I for a while after that. Um so I guess that uh, we were just talking about Tommy Robinson and some of the stuff that's going on there. And David mentioned that he thought that he, he that the, the the official line is that he was arrested uh, this time for jurisprudence. Um, do you have any uh, information on that or some some inside knowledge that you can kind of depart to the listeners about this situation, Orwell? Yeah, he was handed a suspended sentence and he broke it after about twelve months. Uh, he basically did the same thing outside a court proceeding uh, for another rape gang, another pedophile grooming gang in the UK, and they held him in contempt of court for basically, according to UK law, if you're making a ruckus outside of a courtroom and if it affects the proceedings and the initial sentencing, then you could be held in contempt. In contempt, and that's what happened to him. He got handed. Uh, I believe it was a 16-month suspended sentence, and almost a year to the day he was found in contempt of court again, which was the which was him effectively breaching terms of his suspended sentence. So he got handed an immediate 13-month sentence on the back of it. But I mean, it was a bit, you know, hit or miss as to whether or not he uh, w- would have been found guilty had he not had any antecedents. Okay, so is it just me, or in a lot of these cases, does it seem to you um, some of these these laws, in some cases, are fairly technical laws, and they're being used in ways to try and silence people in general? Does it does it feel that way to you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all, all of these all of these hate speech laws are deliberately nebulous. It's order to it's in order to cast to cast a wide net, so it's basically whoever can claim offence can put that person away or get them in trouble with the authorities, and it's designed in such a way to silence 
awkward or speech that the, the authorities or the state doesn't don't really want to have surfacing or reading a wider platform like what Tommy Robinson had to say and my personal experience was I thought before getting red pilled I thought Tommy Robinson was like a bigot or racist or fascist and then when I actually got started getting red pilled and listened to some of what, what he was saying it was like this guy is more moderate than I was and this was back when I was enormous like what else have the authorities what else has the media lied about you know because he, I mean, you, you can talk about like his um, pro-Zionist position. I, I, I'm not here to debate that. I'm here just to say that, socially speaking, economically speaking, this guy would probably be considered a centrist, uh, except for his positions on Islam. So he's not like far right. He's not a, like a, a radical extremist or a bigot or anything like that. It's just the media doesn't want this kind of information surfacing because they know that they've imported this massive Islamic problem in the UK. And if more and more people get woke to this problem, there's going to be huge issues. And maybe there might be sort of a resurgence of maybe 1930s or 1940s style nationalism again. And well, the neoliberal globalist, anti-nationalist, authorities and politicians don't want that to happen because they'll just completely derail their, their, their plans. Well, uh, David, do you have any questions or anything, any points you'd like to make, uh, you know, talk about with, uh, with Orwell? Um, well, I've, I've just heard today that he's not a very far right and he's um, condemned nationalist. He condemned the, um, uh, I know he condemned the, um, uh, Cantwell crowd United, back in about North United Carolina. Right rally. Yeah, he condemned it. About that. Okay, so yeah, because he I, and that's something that you and I were were talking, and you showed to me where he basically said that if he were around at the time, if that was his town, he would have been out in opposition to the Unite the Right group. Yeah, I did see that tweet as well. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Peace on. So, so uh, any other, anything else? Any other questions or anything you have? To, I know that you're on a limited time frame tonight. I just want to make sure that you know anything that you have to ask, any points that you want to make, that you, you get to make them during that limited amount of time. Um, not really. I mean, you still have time. It's just yeah, a little bit of time. Uh, yeah. I do think that. Um, uh, I probably do agree with him on Islam. Um, I think Islam is just a back, backwards um, religion, but most of his positions are, uh, are uh, just so. So, so I guess I guess my feeling on the matter is is that um, really, in a lot of ways, most of what we share in common with him. Is 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 the fact that you know he he has some real issues with these um, massive amounts of my of, of foreign uh, migrants invaders whatever you want to call them coming in and I mean I think he has a good point and and from my yeah. perspective and I am pretty far to the right uh, but but we agree on this now I've I've seen lately a lot of people who would normally be centrist. Uh, and in some cases would probably fall more in with the leftist liberal progressive crowd typically, except there's a few issues that have caused them to sort of be ejected from those crowds and pushed into a position where they're, they're pretty much allied up with, with the right on 
in a lot of cases. And, and I think that what we're looking at here, like with Tommy Robinson, is a similar situation where normally he probably wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't even associate with people who think or talk about stuff as we do. Uh, instead, um, but but he's kind of pushed into it because it's a free speech issue for him, and, and it's not just a normal free speech issue because it's about uh, highlighting bad things that are happening that people who are in positions of power in the United Kingdom and in different countries in Europe and in the media do not want to be uh, really talked about or, or in the limelight. When you sort of agree with that, Orwell? Well, I mean, just look what's happened to him. I mean, he's practically been persecuted by the authorities for his positions. And even if he did hold further right views, it probably wouldn't be wise for him or somebody like him to continue to espouse those views, despite the media calling him far-right and extremist or a bigot, because you will get more people from the center and the center-left or people who don't quite feel like they're at home on the progressive left when they look at things like Islam, and if you have a guy who's like a moderate on social economic issues, who is virulently anti-Islam, you'll be far likelier to go to see what that person has to say, and then form your opinions thereafter, rather than to say, if everybody were on the hard right who opposed Islam, then Islam would be in a better position to kind of creep up, multiply, and then eventually slowly take over, which is what we're seeing happening in Labour councils in the UK. There are now in the vicinity of around 100 Sharia councils operating in the UK, mediating on things such as divorce and uh, things, things like that. It's mostly divorce, and now the UK is looking to work with these Sharia courts in order to try to codify some of the, those Sharia tenets into UK law in order to facilitate the divorce process for Muslim couples. So, I mean, you do yeah. have a situation of creeping Sharia, and I mean, a lot of schools already give their students halal meals. It's just more for expediency's sake, but nevertheless, you're still having to adopt Islamic customs in your own country without your consent. Yeah, and I, and I think that there's a real issue there. Now, it's it's one of the things that I'm, I'm seeing it, it, that's really brought on a lot of these problems is that is that for some reason, and I can't figure out why, they just want to lay down. They just want to lay down and do whatever these people want to do. And, and, they, and anybody who starts to talk about any of the negative consequences of doing this are the ones they seem to go after, try to sweep under the rug, try to throw in jail, try to shut them up, won't let them into the country, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, if you look at Germany right now, uh, uh, they absolutely, they're in complete, absolute denial about what's going on there. I mean, I, I, saw a friend of mine on social media who's posted and he, he came out and he said that they're finding every day, every single day, they're finding the corpses of young women all over the place and just all kind, you know, all sorts of, of rape uh, complaints filed with the police. And they're almost always against these so-called refugees. And so they're, and they don't want to talk about it. There was an article in the BBC that came out uh, in the last day or so, last few days or so, and it says that that migrants specifically, I can't believe they even printed it. It just blows my mind. Migrants fuel German violent crime rights. I, I can't. I mean, for the BBC to report this at this point, it must be horrific because they they didn't want to talk about this. 
But today, I've seen several articles saying that Trump was wrong about the rise in crime due to migrants in Germany. You have people, places like Bloomberg and uh, the Locale, uh, there are some other publications that are talking about Trump's erroneous suggestion that the rise in crime was due to migrants. So we know it's the case. You, you, millions of these culturally incompatible fighting age men into the country, give them gifts. What do you think is going to happen? They're not going to assimilate. They're not going to learn the language. And then you have like all these lefty activist judges and activist lawyers and just political activists who will call you a racist, who will try to convince you not to press charges on these people because they'll be subjected to horrendous conditions back at home um, if they get deported. So you have this horrible catch-22 situation where you're absolutely stuck in that kind of country. Plus, the media is completely complicit in covering up the crimes committed by migrants over there. Um, even if even if they're kind of forced into reporting something, they'll just use the term southern looking in order to describe these migrants. So how far south are we talking about? I think a bit further south than Bavaria, don't you think? Uh, Saxony seems to be a problem, I think. But I think we had somebody that just called in. Who do we have on the line? With? Anthony Samroff speaking. Ah, Reporting for duty, sir. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. Is that Star Trek? For being so late to the party. Oh no! I'm very it's not your fault, Anthony. It's not your fault. Honored this is actually uh, we're honored to have you, but I want you to know it's not your fault. We we've had some technical difficulties tonight, and we got a late start, uh, and uh, some of it is real life encroaching on our on our podcast life. But we're glad to have How you. Welcome. Yeah. How dare real life encroach upon your podcast? I mean, let's face it, <laughs> podcast comes first, real life, frankly, can wait. But you know what cannot wait? The culture war. And we're here to talk about the culture war because it is uh, urgent. And I feel it a is. little bit sad to, to have joined the party late because I don't, know what, I don't know the majority of what's been said so far. So I don't want to nope. uh, make points that have already been made. But I have a particular perspective. Well, before you get started, before you get started, Anthony, and I'm sorry to cut in. We're we're here in just a minute. We're about to lose David uh, to to real life. Uh, uh, David, any last uh, points or questions or anything that you'd like to make? Um, Yeah, uh, if I can think of think of some. Well, uh, what did you think, David? What did you think about uh, uh, the where you sent me a post about uh, some of this uh, stuff from Tommy Robinson possibly causing a mistrial? Yeah, he caused a mistrial, and uh, it might have been jurisprudence. That's what it, that's what I've heard um, that the people um, that they might have let might have helped some Muslims out by. Um, by filming the filming the scene of where they were having trial, and they're in the okay. Okay. So so and I guess the point would be that because they had one, it was a big trial, and there were a lot of different participants, a lot of a lot of people that were uh, being uh, indicted, and then you know, they were on trial here. That that now that it was a mistrial across a, a bunch of different individuals, isn't that correct? 
Yes. Okay. Uh, I don't know how much longer we're going to have you, David, I, I, but uh, whenever you bow out, I'm sure I'll see that you're gone. Uh, but uh, uh, we'll be back on again here down the road next month or two. We might even do one special episode somewhere in between before we start season two. So, uh, <clears throat> so, so Orwell, I think I was saying, I think, I think that some of the issues that they're seeing in Germany is uh, there's a lot of it going on. And uh, uh, there's some of the data that they're seeing is coming out of lower Saxony. And they said there's something like a 90% of the rise of in, in violent crime in Lower Saxony was attributed to young male migrants uh, between the age of 14 and 30. And they said that it's most likely that this group is uh, most likely to commit crime anyway, irrespective of, of nationality. So, but, but the migrants were twice, by the numbers, by the statistics, migrants were twice as likely uh, to be reported to the police for alleged violent crime rates. Now, I, I think that that is, um, for me, that kind of irritates me that they, they worded it like that. Because what, they, what they're trying to do there is act as though people are more likely to just tell on migrants. And it's not the fact that the migrants are actually committing twice as many crimes, because that's what's really going on. It's just that people tell on them more often. What do you think about that? <laughs> well, it's just the Germans internalized racism. This is why they need to take a, a, a master's degree in anthropology to realize why they should get rid of their racism and not report migrants, you know. And I also get disarmed and not call the police on anyone either. So, you know, I guess you just die, right? Right. Um, yeah, so this, I have heard about Lower Saxony too. I don't know if it was 90%, but I do know it was very high. and It was very disproportionately high in that area as well. And, of course, the media likes to do this little sleight of hand with what they call them southern-looking. And there's this one very, very big incident which everyone's heard of, which the police and the media tried to sweep under the rug. The Cologne mass molestation, which happened in the New Year's of 2016, where around 1,000 women got molested by mostly North African and Middle Eastern men on New Year's Day. And it wasn't just Cologne. Cologne got the worst of it. There was also incidents in Frankfurt and Hamburg, if I'm not mistaken, and it took three to four days for the alternative media to come out with this. And then the mainstream media was pressured into covering the story as well. And the police had reported after the Cologne event, where I believe it was like two or three dozen women got raped and hundreds of others got groped, molested, um, you know, may maybe penetrated with fingers or whatnot. The police reported that it was a quiet night and there's not much to say about it. <laughs> wow. So, so okay, so taking that into consideration, what do you think about, about what David was talking about as far as uh, the idea that if Tommy Robinson, um, what he did, because it, it quite possibly could cause mistrials and so on, that, that it was a, actually aided the Muslims more than it helped anything else? I mean, what is, what is your feelings about that? Well, I, I could see why he did it. He was drawing attention to the fact that, you know, these people are in rape trials and obviously emotions and tempers flare. So it, it sometimes could be really hard to keep it under control given to the extent of the rape, rape gang scandal that happened in the UK. And I think we should start calling it rape gang instead of grooming gang because grooming gang is just a way to downplay the actual extent and the hideousness of the crime that took place. But um, he 
well, I mean, he got arrested and got handed that suspended sentence for exactly what he had done previously. And it was obvious, it was obvious that this was targeted in the end. Um, there was a picture of the judge, one of the judges, looking down and smiling as he was getting arrested, whisked away and taken into a police car because they, they knew that this would mean that Tommy Robinson would be out of the hair of the authorities for this long. But the interesting thing to consider is that in quite a few councils, councillors and police officers alike have been partaking within the rape gang scandals themselves and either using them um, for their own satisfaction, using these young girls for their own satisfaction, or maybe had some other reason uh, to which they would turn a blind eye to this atrocity, maybe financial reasons or not wanting to be called racist or being told by their superiors to hang fire because, of course, there would be um, implications if they arrested what is perceivably 90% plus Pakistani Muslim men, well, it's not just Pakistani, you have some Bangladeshi and Afghan thrown in there too. And then there's a few white people involved. But people would start noticing this disparity in the perpetrators and people would start asking questions that it was purely racially, well, ethno-religiously motivated. So, okay, so considering that, and, and uh, we've heard the other, you know, other people's take on this, Anthony, where, where, what have you heard? And I mean, what is your, what is your view from where you're at in, on this whole incident? Well, I mean, okay, I'm in, I'm in the UK, obviously, I'm in Scotland, and I went right. to see Tommy Robinson speak uh, a month ago in London. Um, I feel like. We are in a situation here where both the left and the right on this issue are correct in what they affirm and uh, wrong in what they deny, which uh, uh, obviously needs some unpacking because I've said absolutely nothing about what I mean by that, which is there, uh, up until recently there was this line on the left which is basically everything that bad, bad that happens in the West is all our own fault because... You know, we're imperialists and aggressors abroad, and the only reason why we're over here, they're over here, is because we're over there. And this, uh, and on the right, it's like uh, immigrants and Islam. And if you, I, I personally um, was of the lefty view, even even after becoming an affirmed libertarian, a free marketeer. I had the lefty view on foreign policy, which is that essentially they're over here because of blowback, right? We've fucked around in those, their countries, and now uh, they're angry and out for revenge. Um, it was only a bit later on that I started to learn about Islam, and there's a few critical points that I think cannot be stated enough, which is that... Islam is different from most other uh, other religions in that most religions are about how to pray. Islam is not just about how to pray. Islam is Islam is has a fully intact political doctrine um, on how a state should be run and what what the functions of government are and what morality should be imposed on non-believers. In other words, Christianity 
is about how Christians should behave. Judaism is about how Jews should behave. But Islam is two stories about Kafirs. Who are Kafirs? They're you and I. They're unbelievers. Islam is the worship of Allah and the emulation of Muhammad. Not just the, the worship of Allah, none of us care about that. That's not relevant to us. Anyone can pray any way they want. That's not our business. The emulation of Muhammad is our business. And if you go and read the biography of Muhammad, you will find out how he behaved according to Muslims. His life is the perfect life, the life that should be emulated by all good Muslims. And he was basically a warlord and a conqueror. So if you like warlords and conquerors, then his life was a good life. But if, like us, you mean a good Muslim is a moderate Muslim, in the eyes of Islam, a good Muslim is the one that emulates Muhammad, okay? So you can see where the problem lies. Um, Now, that being said, if we look at the history of Western intervention in the Middle East, we can't say that um, the actions of our own government have been positive in light of containing this problem. Even as recently as the 90s, or a little bit less recently than our more recent incursions into Syria or Iraq, where there was no al-Qaeda or radical Islam before Western countries invaded, in, in Kosovo, we intervened on behalf of the Muslim side. Um, going back through history in 1953, um, Iran had a democratically elected leader in Mohammed Mosaddegh. Unfortunately, he was a communist. Um, not someone that I would support being in power, objectively speaking, but you don't know if that would have had opened the doors to a more kind of moderate, uh, progressive government in the long term. Uh, was was um, taken out of power by the West in a coup and replaced with the Shah, the previous leader, who was a brutal dictator. Um, these are incidents that happened in the history of the West and its relationship to the Middle East that have exacerbated the problem. Because there's always, you've heard of the expression, a grievance looking for a cause. Well, sometimes a grievance needs a cause. And Muslims can find no end of evidence for why they should hate us. And I'm not saying that that absolves Islam or anything like that. Our greatest ally, apparently our greatest ally in the Middle East, apart from Israel, is Saudi Arabia. The Saudi Arabian government spends tons of money opening up Wahhabi schools, which is the most radical, the most evil reading of the Islamic text all over the Middle East, and they're our allies. So our allies are spreading radical Islam. Our uneven-handed approach to Israel um, has obviously been the cause of a lot of, um, let's say, recruitment for Muslims. So the question is, not the death of the West, but the suicide of the West. Why are we bombing countries like Syria and Libya to create a migrant crisis where all the Muslims, including the most radical ones, move out of those countries after hating us for bombing them into our countries where they can subvert and recruit. And why are we, uh, 
why are why are we not looking after our own interests by saying, do you know what, the Middle East is a shit heap. Let those warring factions of Islamists kill each other rather than killing us. Well, well one thing I want to point out, and this is something that um, I don't think people, people discuss enough, because we, we talk about, quote, refugees, unquote, and um, migrants and so on. And, and these people are not really true refugees, even the ones coming from the war zones. And, and the reason I say that is because refugees don't travel a thousand miles past six or seven other nations to get to your nation. Refugees go to the closest stable country and seek asylum. That's what a refugee does. Yes. A refugee doesn't bypass all point. those nations. And and another thing another thing that I that I have to point out is that the vast majority of these of these so-called refugees and migrants, they're not really coming from war zones. They're coming from Africa. They're coming from Middle Eastern nations right. that are not being bombed right now. They're coming from places that are not that the West is not involved in. You look at Italy; their primary their primary influx is coming from Africa, from not and not from North right. Africa. A ton of them okay. are coming from Southern Africa. Well, I can't dispute you on those. You're you're almost certainly right. I don't have figures to hand, and um, my my major point is: why are we as not looking after what we have in control of, which is why are we offering such a lucrative welfare state to migrants that make our countries uh, attractive? Another thing is, why don't we open free trade with Africa? Why do we have um, embargoes and tariffs on goods from countries all over the world? If we trade freely with every country in the world, we benefit because poor people in our country can get cheaper goods from abroad, and the poor people in those countries can get our, our money to develop and become richer, and then there will be less of an impulse for them to emigrate to richer countries. What's more, um, we should be a bastion of free markets and show how prosperous free market and make a country so that we set an example on the world stage of what is possible when countries adopt free market so that they want to emulate our political philosophy. And what I'm, what I'm saying is you cannot only fight a battle on one front. You have to fight the battle on every front, the level of economics, well, the level of foreign policy, uh, the, uh, and so forth. Well, my my feeling on on the the, the free market side, I'm, I definitely prefer a free market to a market in which you know there are lots of restrictions and interference and regulations and subsidies and so on. The issue that I have, if you look at the United States, is that we currently um, are are essentially we have much more outgoing wealth than we have coming in uh, in, in regards to okay. trade. We're, our, our trade deficit okay. was approaching a trillion, a trillion dollars last year alone. Right. Okay. And one of the problems that we have is that we, we keep, we for, we've tried this experiment now for 50 or 60, 70 years since World War II. We, keep our, we, we have very few trade tariffs and restrictions on exports that, and imports. That, and, and, and I will say that, that the issue, that we're, the problem that we're running into is that 
uh, nobody else seems to be doing the same thing. They all seem to be erecting no. tariffs and, and, and boundaries around the, the industries that they want to protect of their own. And in particular, okay. we've had a major problem with third world nations doing it. They're, they're probably worse than anybody if you look at China and, and their trade policies over the last 50 years. And if you look at Mexico and, and some of the other uh, uh, African okay. nations that, that do have exports. So the issue that, I'm that I have, have here, well, as the issues, I that, the issues that I have here, I think the issue well, well, that you well, have well, as well. Well, if other countries are well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, Anthony, because I'm I'm not finished yet. Uh, the, the issue that okay. I have here but, is that is that it's not enough to to erect to to be an example if after fifty or sixty or seventy years nobody will follow your example. So at some point we have to say, look, we're going to have to do to you what you're doing to us until you're ready to lower your tariffs because we've already put the best foot forward. We've already no. lowered our tariffs. And you haven't responded in life. So as a result, we now must we now must move to protect ourselves in the same manner you are. When you're ready to trade fair, we'll trade fair with you. And I think that that's where okay. the United States has, has come to at this point. And I and I think that it's a it's a fair position because we have put our best um, foot forward for like I said more than half a century now with the rest of the world. So you know I, okay. I, I and now as far as as far as immigration and, and refugees go. The, the biggest issue here is that the country inside the United States domestically, we have a, a huge lobby on the behalf of business. They want those immigrants to come. Some of it, a small portion of it, is cheap labor for agricultural agricultural industries and a few other industries. However, the vast majority of it, the issue is, is that these uh, businesses, retail outlets, movie theaters, hotels restaurants, real estate industry, they want these people to come and they want them to get on welfare because they don't care where the money comes from. If the money comes from the government and then these migrants take that government money, which comes from taxpayers, and they spend it, that's great. They're happy because they're still getting money. It does mean more money for them. However, the taxpayers, that money that's being taxed off of them instead of going into savings, gets handed to these refugees, these so-called refugees and migrants, and then it gets spent on these businesses. So what we've got here is we have a group of people in the business community who are lobbying for migrants to come in, and they're lobbying for them to have access to welfare. They want that welfare because they know that it means more money in their pockets, and they don't care if it's coming out of the average person's pocket. And so that's the reason why the welfare problem is not going to go away. So we have to shut the borders first so that we can cut off that flow. No, I, I agree with you on that point. I have to dispute your analysis of tariffs. I completely agree with your analysis ideologically in the sense that this is why America continues to have tariffs and uh, not permit trade from third world countries because of the trade deficit. What I dispute is that a trade deficit is a bad thing. When you uh, increase your, on a personal level, when you increase your wealth, it's not by selling more stuff, it's by getting more stuff. If you want a keyboard in your house, you go out and buy a keyboard. That's what makes you wealthy, you now have a keyboard. If you want a bigger bed, you buy a bigger bed. So getting cheap goods from abroad is not harmful. If you're a, well, if 
you're a lawnmower. It is. It is. It is. If you're having to borrow money. So, well, but it is if you're okay. having to borrow but, but, but allow, money allow, and print allow money to, to do it. Uh, allow me to make my case, please, because I, I listen to sure, your case, sure. and this is not something that can be made in 60 seconds, right? See if you're a lawnmower maker, where I'm just pulling something out of my ass, right? And your neighbor comes into your garden and leaves the lawnmower there and says, I don't need this anymore. Uh, I'm just going to leave it here. Okay, that means you might need to stop making lawnmowers and make something else because you've got one already. But you still got a free ass lawnmower. So if some idiot abroad wants to subsidize their lawnmower making industry, that does not actually make us less wealthy. This is an economic fallacy that is widely believed, but was debunked by Frederick Bastia, by David Ricardo, even earlier than Bastia. The idea that um, us getting cheap imports from abroad hurts us because we've got a big trade deficit is completely fallacious. And the reason why is, sure, people are um, selling us stuff, uh, and we're, say I'm an American like you, we're paying for them with American dollars. But here's the clincher. American dollars can only be spent on American goods. So sometime or another, it's going to get to the point where those countries are buying. Now, you don't, on the micro level, if we're importing cars from, um, from Japan and our car manufacturing goes out of business, that sucks for people working in the car manufacturing industry. But for the vast majority of the people in the country who are getting cheaper cars, that represents a real increase in their standard of living. Plus, if they're getting a car for a few hundred bucks cheaper... They've got a few hundred bucks extra to spend on other goods, some of which will be uh, domestically produced goods. So even if you're not playing on an even playing field and other people are banning the importation of your goods, let them do it because, you're, because essentially if you play the same game as they're playing, you will inevitably be struck by your own sword. You're saying no to cheap goods that will increase the standards of living in your country. And yeah, people might need to move industry. They might need to move into uh, it, more automated industries, onto internet, uh, business marketing, all sorts of high tech, which they're not it, doing. But, it, but the fact is, in the West, our wages are too high for manufacturing to remain a major part of our economy, we should be yeah, we should we should be importing manufactured goods from the poorest countries in the world to help bring the poor people of the world into a higher standard of living. And as we do, why um, why do we have an obligation because, to do that? I mean, it's, we but don't it's have not that simple anyway. When, when you we have, don't have an obligation have to a we're bleeding. We're bleeding wealth, and we're doing it through these trade deficits because it's not no, just the local domestic. It's not. Wait a minute. It's not just the local businesses that are that are reaping the benefits of all that welfare money. That welfare money is buying goods imported cheaply onto our market. We're printing money and borrowing money to pay for all these goods in that massive trade deficit. 
This is not this is not but, a situation where everybody's spending you, private you're not, you're, to buy all these cheap foreign goods. We're borrowing running a government deficit in order to pay for this stuff. Where when we have one out of every five people on food stamps in this country, when we have and, and that means that they don't have no, to spend you're, you're blaming on the wrong food. thing. I'm not it's not I'm because of the right it's the not right because spot, of import. Right where it should what, be. Right what you're, what you're, what, no, because you're only looking at one side of the equation. You're only looking no, at the trade deficit. You're not, you're I not looking at all you. the, you're not looking I at all the cheap. You. You're not looking at all the cheap shit that people in your country are receiving from third world countries. Yeah, but we're borrowing, but we're borrowing money, Anthony, to buy all that cheap. Yeah, shit. but that's the mistake. That's, I, the mistake. It's not. The mistake is. The mistake is the fiat currency and the printing of money. I completely agree with you on that point. The mistake well, is but, not but the import. Right, right, but it doesn't, it doesn't change. The, it doesn't change the trade deficit but, is completely wait a irrelevant. Hold on, hold on, just a, hold on, the, just a second. It doesn't change. Is, it does not change. It does not change the fact that some things are easier to fix a certain way than another way. For instance, it's easier to close the borders than it is to shut off welfare in this country. Oh, That's just a fact. But I'm not – It's I'm easier – Wait not a minute. For, easy, okay, but this is a straw man because at no point – But hold at on. At no it, point it, did I hear I was for opening the borders. Anthony, I, I'm going to have to mute you for a second. It's easier to restrict trade than it is to – than it is – to try and get us to shut off welfare and to change the trade policies of other countries. Yeah, okay. I, I, uh, well, there, there's no, but but you're laboring in the faulty assumption that restricting trade is good for America. It's not. It's bad. It means that people in America in the short do not term, get access good. to keep goods. In the short and no, term, in the it's short good. term, it's bad. In the short term, no, in the long it's term, bad it's because bad. Okay, so we have a. We have a fundamental disagreement here because because I, we I have think in the a fundamental with, disagreement, but but all of the economic evidence uh, is available, and the completely rational arguments set out by people like David Ricardo have not been refuted. Uh, the only thing is well, that it's very well. Okay, I, I recommend that you read a book called The Myth of the Rational. Voter by Brian Kaplan, where he goes through the well, I don't agree with Brian Kaplan on many things. There, there's one problem. There's one area of disconnect. Well, I, I think I, that Brian Kaplan I, I misses the mark in many places. I think he misses the mark on immigration. On that point, I completely agree with you. But on free trade, the arguments in favor of free trade, even if the other side isn't playing fair, are incontroversible. It's the fact that I disagree. I, I disagree. I absolutely stuff. disagree with I, that I statement. And, and I and I and I'm going to tell you, not, there's a lot of re- well, well, not, there's a lot of reasons for that. And and those those arguments that you're giving, they are why they it are, isn't good. You've not explained why it isn't good for people in your country that are poor to get access well, but to I, cheap but, goods but you, but Well, but you see, that's because I, I you won't allow me to. I would like to. Those arguments. The, those arguments are are not great arguments because they are very they, they are very two dimensional arguments. All right, cheap goods are not <laughs> always like just like cheap labor is not always good. We have borders for a reason. All right, one of the reasons that we have borders 
is is to keep out things that we do not find uh, have a positive impact on our country. One of the issues that we have is we're doing a lot of business trade-wise with countries that have nationalized economies and, or are completely command and control economies, China being a perfect example. They, they're importing goods into our nation with a broke with the, that are suffering from the economic calculation problem. This has a massive impact on our, on our marketplace. It is not a good impact at all. They have an unlimited ability to continue to produce goods and sell them at a price below the cost to, to, to make them. They can do this as I long as I agree with you on that. Not well, 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 that's hold, hold, only bad for the Chinese. Not, that's no, not bad for Americans. This is what I'm talking about. You, you just jumped in and cut me off. You just cut me off. No, Subs- I, I'm... Subsidies and tariffs, to a limited extent, cause the same problem. The issue here is not about whether the tariff itself, at that particular instance, on that particular good, is good or bad. The issue here is this is not an economic problem. This is a political issue. This is a situation where other countries are doing things to us, and they have continued to do them repeatedly for decades. And our example has not changed their behavior one bit. Their cheap goods are an immediate shot in the arm. But in the long term, they've resulted in unemployment, uh, more inflation, and more problems for us as a whole, economically, as a society. Mm-hmm. Well, I are using, using, I using their system to, to, import, to import poverty to the United States. They're exporting their poverty from their nation to us by using these tactics. They've artificially turned their currency to the dollar. I disagree on your fundamental point. The first thing is they do not cause inflation because cheaper goods can only cause deflation because they're cheaper, at least price deflation. Second of all, they're, they're they're not exporting poverty. They're exporting wealth because you can buy their cheap shit for below the actual market rate. So you're getting cheap Not if your people aren't working and you're having to borrow money. If you're having to borrow money to purchase it, you're having to print money and borrow money, money. and everything you're buying is on credit. You're not selling. You're you're buying everything on credit. You're buying everything on credit. Well, but if it was more expensive, you'd have to borrow even more money to buy it. So that's fundamentally... Uh, unsound mathematically, never mind economically, if you were having to buy more expensive goods, then you'd have to borrow more money to buy them. Uh, that's, a, that's more to do with the problem of the state domestically than anything to do with anything another country is um, doing to you. Saying no to cheap goods is a self-inflicted wound. You're basically harming the working class. As for well, but we're not doing. They're not really doing it to that. That's, that's, not that's one of the things I want to point out. They're not. They're not the doing it. To we're allowing it. To the only so thing that causes The only thing that causes unemployment is minimum wage and labor laws. The basic law of economics is that human wants are unlimited, whereas resources are limited. Therefore, there's always an endless demand for labor, an endless demand for labor because human wants are unlimited. 
the only thing that can ever cause unemployment is government restrictions on employment, including the minimum wage and all labor laws. Everyone could well, be employed in something. So, and even if they were employed at $2 an hour, that doesn't sound like a very high wage. But the thing is, if everyone was employed at that wage, everything would be so cheap that you could afford a chef and a butler and a gardener and all these kinds of people that you can't afford right now. If, so, if, you make the assumption, only- if you make the assumption, if you make the assumption that everybody's employed, well, no, that everybody's making enough all money. Is, all, all I'm saying is that human wants are unlimited. I would love okay, but, to but have good, someone. But, but, but wait a minute. I would love to have someone to tidy my house for me. But I, I would love to have someone to tidy my house for me. But I can't afford right, minimum wage for it. Okay, but, but resources are not unlimited. Yes, but human labor is hugely Manufactured goods are not unlimited. Manufactured goods That's are true. not unlimited. That's, no, I agree with you, but labor is okay. hugely under underutilized in the economy because of labor laws and restrictions. All of these are domestic policies. So but, get your house right. in order. We need we need we actually need to get out and we sell are. the argument against the minimum wage, sell the argument against labor laws well, we do that. in order we do. to cure I unemployment. I agree with you on those well, points. Well, well time, at least at we found time. some common ground. <laughs> well but but at the same time, um I, I don't I don't agree with with doing uh, with opening your borders to absolute hundred percent free trade with those who don't practice it themselves. It's okay. kind of like extending uh, the NAP to people who don't extend it back to you. Well, okay, I disagree on that point and I think I've made my, my views clear and I'm glad that we can have a friendly dispute on that. I I sure, agree sure. with you that under the current climate we cannot open our borders to migrants. I think that would be absolutely suicide. It would be suicide to have an open borders policy on immigration. However, on the importation of cheap goods from abroad, I believe that any tariffs or restrictions on free trade are a self-inflicted wound whether or not the countries that we uh, are importing those goods from are playing are singing from the same song sheet. I think any restrictions on free trade in any circumstances, other than if we're at war, the country was supposed to be um, well, trading with. And, uh, sure. I guess I guess I guess if anyone wants to resolve that dispute, I just refer them to Frederick Bastia and David Ricardo, who I think have thoroughly debunked the case that um, tit for tat on uh, restrictions on free trade are helpful for a nation state. Besides, bring it back to any key. Just one but, more but point I, before I, I, I close. I just want to make one more point and I'll, I'll give you the floor. Um, just on a level, uh, if we accept the NEP, what right does the government have to say that I shouldn't be allowed to import cheaper apples from an African nation? If I want to buy a cheaper apple, that's between me 
and the Apple seller. The government has absolutely no right to stop me from buying the cheapest Apple. You know, you, you just don't have the right to stop me from buying a cheap product from abroad. That is a violation of my liberty. Well, I I think that what we're looking at here, and I, and I don't, I mean, at, at the risk of, of, of sounding a little bit combative, I think you can't have it both ways. You either support borders or you don't. Borders are there to protect us. You let in good stuff, you keep out the bad stuff. Sometimes the bad stuff is foreign goods. That's just the way it is. Um, and those foreign goods are typically ones that have a tendency, at least in the short run, to do damage to your economy or, or, or in the long run do damage to your economy. Now, I'm not saying that I, I don't prefer open, complete, open, unrestricted trade between nations. I'm 100% with you. But the argument you just gave for the apples is the same argument that the large corporation and the agricultural business gives for these so-called unlimited refugees and migrants from foreign countries to come in and work. They're cheap. So I, I'm just not going to agree to that. I think that if you import goods with an economic calculation problem, you're causing damage, and you don't have a free market. Um, and, and that's that's the real issue here. What's a free market? I don't believe that you actually have, this is none of this is free trade. If you're trading with people who have okay. tariffs on your goods, then it's not free trade. There, free trade requires both sides to behave properly. And that's kind okay. of where I am. On well, that. And I, I don't think you can well, extend I, free trade to one nation if they're not extending it back to you. It's just not possible. Well, I mean, I, it is possible I, that I you can adhere to the principles, and, but well, well, I'm saying it is final, possible that you can you can disagree with the principles. You can you can agree to the principles. You can you can leave your 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 trading open and let everybody pour whatever they want into your country without putting tariffs on it, regardless of whether they put tariffs on your goods or not. But all you have to do is come to the United States and travel to some of these some of our areas that were once very wealthy and very well off and yeah. very rich and look at them yeah, and, and they what you'll be well off is a situation what you'll see is you'll see in areas where where they're absolutely destroyed now and and you see yeah, of course, some because of the, the minimum community, the yeah, because, of the minimum, the hardest, because of the minimum wage the and labor laws it's not it it's not all that's not the only reason and why. because of automation when you, when, if you look at if you look at if you look at, at China, all right. If you look at what they're doing, they're actually selling stuff below the cost of manufacture, and they don't have the same type yeah, of that's environmental that, regulations. That is that great have. for that is great for poor people in the United States because they're getting cheap stuff. That's absolutely except for the ones that can't find a job. Right, 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 right now we have the lowest unemployment that we've had in 40 years. Can I jump in and say a few things? Uh, I've been listening yes, to you sure. going back and forth, and the, the main point of contention is the fact that you want to raise the standard of living for poor people in America. Uh, we need to consider that the population of America is in places to more than double the size it was in the 60s. So that, what's that going to do? That's going to put an upward pressure on house prices, on the cost of living, and a, a downward pressure on wage rates, especially in unskilled or less skilled uh, jobs, which the poor people mostly occupy. So... If you try to alleviate the inflow of cheap labor from places like Mexico and Central America, and if you diminish the issuing of H-1B and H-2B visas for these jobs in America, these people will enjoy higher wage rates. Okay, productivity will take a hit in the here and now, but 
with the associated cost linked to immigration, especially illegal immigration, wherein there's about 25 to 30 million people, and each person who is living in America illegally costs roughly seven to eight thousand dollars per capita. Legal migrants after 1965 have also been a net drain to the American economy as well. I agree that the Fed should stop printing up trillions of dollars just to um, you know, plaster any shortfalls that they have here and there. We need to dismantle the military industrial complex, which accounts for a third of the national debt in America. So if you really want to help the poor, you need to stem the flow of immigration first off just to obviously give them less competition for unskilled jobs and to kind of take the pressure off house prices, which is a big problem. Then there's other societal problems you need to tackle, like feminism, which also increases um, which also increases house prices as there's more people uh, wanting housing for themselves. And then, you know, these people would have far more disposable incomes as the tax rates would decrease, as a lot of these funds aren't going to third worlders who commit more crime and who consume far more social resources per capita. Sure. I think we're all in agreement on the point that unbridled immigration is a problem. There's no point of dispute in that. What I would say is if you're going to speak about things like house prices, there is only one cause for the increase of house prices, and that is government restrictions on building houses, how high um, buildings can be made, how big apartments have to be. There's all sorts of government interference in the housing market, and there's a reason for that, and it's because at any one time, at least four times as many people own a house as are looking for a house. Therefore, it's policy suicide for any government to allow house prices to fall. On a free market, you simply have supply and demand. If there isn't enough housing, people will build huge complexes with affordable housing. In my country, in the UK, house prices increased over 4,000% between 1971 and 2011. There's only one reason for that. Government restrictions on the building so, of houses. So mass immigration uh, also accounts for it as well because it's very I difficult. I, I agree to, with you. I agree with you that mass immigration exacerbates the problem. But in my, the problem with mass with immigration period is not primarily economic. It's cultural. The problem is importing people with ideas that are not compatible with the culture and also who gain mass amounts of free goods, whether it's education, healthcare, welfare, all of those things are the problem, plus the fact they can't speak the language, they can't get a girl, uh, so therefore they're more likely to engage in sexual violence. Those are the problems that come with immigration. The pressure in housing isn't necessarily a problem, if not for government intervention housing market which stops people building you know skyscrapers with flats the size of a shoebox that you could rent for 50 pounds a month you know well you know well, one of the things no I, I want to point out is that is that long term uh, and this is this is one of the things i wanted to, to say before is that long term i agree with you on tariffs i believe that long term you end up with a situation and and even with some of the stuff we're talking about now with government regulations on housing and on other things uh, you end up with a situation, if you look at a, an economy that I think is relatively flat, and, and that's France. 
Um, I mean, I'm not an expert on Fr- on France as far as their their economy goes, but it's highly, highly interfered with by the government, highly regulated, yeah. highly messed with. They have lots of tariffs, lots of restrictions, value added tax, all kinds of crazy stuff going on there. And, and I think, and they and they like tariffs to a certain degree as well. Um, and I think that long term you have those problems. I think most of my support, when I have supported any tariffs at all, it's only been in short term situations, and it's only been to to protect. To, to try and stop and stem the flow of certain things. And it's mainly used as a stick to try and bring trading partners into line. However, as far as migrants go and the housing problems, uh, I do think that uh, you, you have a situation with this where you have these massive influxes of, of immigration, which the United States, we seem to get them in waves. Every three years it will slow down, then it will pick back up for three or four years. And what happens is when they first come in, it creates housing shortages. And then, which which you can see because you start to see our construction industry goes nuts, and that's where the vast majority of our of our illegal immigrants go to be employed is in the construction business. So then we build plenty of houses, and then the 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 the, the tide of, of immigration sort of for a while, and then slows down. Then we have we have some stabilization, and then bam, we get hammered with another wave. And so, and I and I think for from Orwell's point. Uh, I think that, that immigration uh, uh, causes massive problems. It, it, it definitely distorts all sorts of, of industries. Like, for instance, uh, we have public school system, one of the few uh, completely nationalized uh, industries that we have in the United States is our public school system, which is horrific. But for a long time, nobody could figure out why we could never spend enough money on our school systems, and we could never, ever seem to get enough money in there. And what, what I've come to realize is the reason why is this massive influx of immigration into our system and free education. Uh, they, they've been able to, I mean, it just overwhelmed our education system for a good two decades. Um, and, and so from that perspective, too, we're, we started this massive amount of employment for teachers. And, of course, they're all paid by, by taxpayer taxes, which, in my opinion, public education is a form of welfare. Uh, not only for the students, but in no many question. cases, we're employing our teachers that way. So, so there's lots of reasons for for these different groups to support unlimited immigration. You know, teachers because more teaching jobs, uh, immigrants get free education, or, or refugees, or whatever you want to call them. So, you, you see, it, it, I think it has massive distorting effects across across the economy in any country, including the UK. I mean, it's just it's it's horrific now. Um, yeah, I just want to let you guys I, I know we are getting down to about 16, 17 minutes, but go ahead, Anthony. Yeah, I think we're all agreed on the immigration problem and the fact that um, importing immigrants cause widespread problems. I think if you look at the reason why the schools are so bad, it's because under a centrally planned system, there's no trial and error. On a free market, you'd have different schools trying out different things and best practices would emerge over time. But when you've got central planning, you've got no trial and error. You've got no discovery process through entrepreneurship. And that's why, you know, everything you see, your transport, your your laptop, everything gets better year after year. And it's unrecognizable from 20, 30 years ago. However, how has our education systems changed in 20, 30 years? Well, they used to write on a blackboard. Now, sometimes they write on a whiteboard. 
We're still using a completely <laughs> outmoded, outdated. Yeah, we're using a still outmoded, outdated system of education because there's no entrepreneurship and discovery process on how best to educate children. Uh, research on how people best learn has been conducted since the 60s or even earlier than that and there's lots of information on how people best learn but the the education system doesn't implement it we've got evidence to say that exams aren't as good a form of assessment as portfolios but we continue to use exams instead of portfolios um, uh, there, the evidence suggests that element that at the elementary school level homework doesn't improve uh, attainment but it does cause lots of sociological problems where parents are arguing with their kids about not doing their homework and the, the kids aren't getting to socialise with their friends and learning in that way. Um, it, uh, we have a very individual, individualised uh, individual achievement form of education, whereas the evidence seems to suggest that uh, cooperative learning and working groups tends to prevent, uh, produce better outcomes and everyone tends to see everyone else as a competitor instead of uh, someone to learn from. Whereas in the workplace, what we call cheating at school is called cooperation. You know, we are not actually right. preparing our kids for real life in our schools. And I would say right. that's because we have central planning in the schools. So... Everything well, comes back to too much government, and I might be sounding a little bit like a libertarian or an anarchist. Yeah. And I can only say that because I am. You know, that's well, because well, I am just, one. Just, just another so, quick so, thing to to reinforce uh, Anthony's point. Uh, the other thing is that you got need to consider that something like eighty five percent of teachers are on the left as well, so they're going to try and impart the worldview on the students, which. You know, it's it's not very inclusive to other views as well. So whenever they're taught something, it's always going to have a leftist spin on it. So I don't think that students are getting a balanced education anyway. So that might be a reason towards their underperformance. Yeah, and when you've well, got I, a socialized, well, let me let me just you, I want to make two quick points before we move. Anthony, hang on a second. I need, I need to step in. I need to make two quick points before we move forward. We're we're down yeah. to about thirteen minutes, which I think I mentioned before. And so one of the things that probably the average listener is probably said, Maggie, going, well, what, what does this got to do with Islam? Well, a lot of these things are the draw for Islam. We're talking about the root of the problem with Islam is, is, is the, the border situation and how that's being handled. The second thing I, I want to say is that um, for, from an educational point of view, someone who's done homeschooling with his children, I've, I've had six children, uh, just so you guys know. Uh, I've got one that's, that's he's grown now, some of them. <laughs> the other five I've still got. Um, and, and when it comes to just straight learning, math, English, history, science, um, that can actually be accomplished all the way up to, you know, trigonometry levels with arithmetic and, and advanced, semi-advanced physics, which you can consider advanced in high school and so on. That can all be done, honestly, in probably five to six years. But the problem here is, is that public schools are used as a, for socialization. So the issue that you talk about, Anthony, where you say, well, one thing over here in school is cheating, but when you go in the workplace, well, that's cooperation. Well, the reason why it's what's happened is is that uh, schools have evolved into this way to socialize people into obeying the state, doing as they're told, uh, and creating these these citizens versus just teaching them things. And so, one of the things I guess that that whole cheating mentality is a leftover 
from back when schools actually used to teach people something, and that was what was most important. And now it's not what's most important. What's most important is socializing you and teaching you how to follow orders and conform. So, And from homeschooling, well, I can tell you sure. that there's a lot less of that. Well, when you're on the subject of schooling, we have another problem with Quranic schools in the UK. It seems as if a lot of the teachers who are employed by these Quranic schools are often unvetted, underqualified, and hold extremist beliefs. There was one story from a few months ago in East London on a, in a private Quranic school where this guy who was unqualified for the role managed to radi- attempt to radicalize 110 of his students. This guy was like a janitor or something like that, but he took a few uh, Quranic classes. Uh, the point I wanted to bring across was that these people almost have carte blanche to do what they want within these schools because the ombudsmen are too tired, of, sorry, they're too scared to go into these places and try to vet them without being called as unphobical racist. Now, the other thing I just wanted to quickly say, apparently 25 of the 110 students had to go to de-radicalization courses. Do you know what the effect rate of these de-radicalization courses are? It's around 5%. 5% of the people who go through those become effectively de-radicalized. So, so coming into the end of this, I want to say let's, let's try to keep our, our answers real you know, short as we can. I don't mean I know that you, you actually haven't gotten a whole lot of words in there Orwell so I'm not trying to pick on you buddy um, and I want, I want to hear what you got to say uh, and I think you're making a good point there and um, Anthony uh, what do you think about what Orwell's saying if you could keep it down to about 30 seconds to a minute because there's one other topic I want to hit before we close up for the day if, if you could sure I don't think we should have any political tolerance for um, uh, teaching Islam in schools or um, uh, Sharia courts or any of this kind of thing. Uh, certainly no public funds for those uh, things. And I, I can't dispute anything he said. I'm concerned about the problem of Islam as a political ideology. I don't care how people pray, but uh, the political element of it should be of concern to everyone. And just one more point on that. If I said to you, David, hey, have you, have you, uh, I, I heard someone come into the bar yesterday and say, have you seen David? If you do, tell him I'm going to punch his face in. You would be scared, and reasonably so. There are literally millions of people in the world who think we should be killed for having this conversation because we're slandering Islam. So the word Islamophobic is a misnomer. You, uh, that's, uh, uh, phobia is an irrational fear. We are completely rational to be afraid of the more radical elements of Islam because there's millions of people in the world that think we should be put to death for even having this conversation. Well, and I and I agree with you there. I think that it's kind of it's kind of funny that that we we find ourselves in a situation now where in Western nations, supposedly nations that were founded initially or, or have had many many uh, centuries in some cases of of, of Basic Christian values, no matter how you cut it, even the secularized nations still adhere to a certain extent to Christian values. In many cases, it is our Christian values that's put us in a position where we're tolerating this type of thing happening to us. Yeah. And this is where I have a major issue. I have a major issue, and I'm a Catholic, okay, so I'm going to throw that out there. Uh, and I have a major issue with, with the way Catholicism is handling this and the way that Christianity has been handling this. I think that what needs to happen is we need to go back to an older version of Christianity, one that puts up with a lot less of this stuff. And this is where David and I have 
had a tendency to bring out the concept of slave morality in past episodes of mm. the, 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 the Nietzsche yeah, version agreed. of slave morality. So yeah, I completely um, agree with what you're saying. Uh, yeah, I, I just want to quickly say something that. before we. I just wanted to quickly say something before we moved on because we got a very bad problem in the UK where Saudi Arabians, very wealthy Saudi Arabians, and uh, own substantial shareholdings in big newspapers such as The Independent, and also they, they also control a significant portion of the finance sector in London as well, which is why the UK authorities might be turning a blind eye towards the crimes and encroachments of Islam within the UK. Right. So, okay, so that, that, that's a good point. They, they do put a lot of money into Western nations, in particular media. Um, so, so thanks for bringing that up as well. We're, we're down to seven minutes, and, and one of the things that David wanted just me to bring up, and so I want to bring this up real quick, there are some individuals out there, alt-right and so on, that have said that they believe that Islam is the final red pill. So keeping that answer down to just a real short, like, minute, so Orwell, what do you think about that that idea? That Islam is the final red pill. What that we should embrace it. I guess so. I mean, I'm just trying to figure that out. So, <laughs> what are your feelings about that? Well, well, well I would well, say I mean, I'm, look, I'm look, very much a traditionalist. I wouldn't want to accept Islam root and branch as my political philosophy, to be honest. Uh, just given the way it's so intolerant and backwards when it comes to women and legal proceedings and economics, um, it's not something for me. Thank you very much. Uh, Anthony, what's your what yeah. is your feeling on that idea that it's the final red pill? I would just say that if God exists, I really, really, really hope that it isn't the God of Islam, because I would <laughs> not like to live in a universe created by the gods of the Quran. Okay, that's that's I think that's that's a resounding no from both of you, and I'm going to agree. I um, just uh, the, the the position that they have on on feminism, uh, of course, Islam is you know they're they're going to kill everybody that's that's uh, uh, if they ever take were to take control of any of these nations, the first people mm-hmm. to go are going to be the um, uh, the the homosexuals, the feminists, Sodomites. many of the leftists. Yeah, they they they're, they're Sodomites. <laughs> that's right. They're going to get rid of all of these groups, a lot of these people that are supporting them. And they're going to do it in a way that is going to make Nazism look, to make the National Socialists or, or the Communists look tame. Uh, for instance, mm. one of the things that I know from history is that in the Middle East, they took many, many, many African slaves. And they did it for, for a long time. And the reason why that you don't see any uh, African people of really of African descent in the Middle East is that they pretty much neutered all of them. Yep. So they they practice eugenics. That is the reason why. So you can imagine, and they they found these people useful. That's the only reason they kept them around that long. So you can imagine what's going to happen to the rest of of these other groups. So and uh, I just want to say as we're closing up here, we didn't get a chance to really do a lot of introductions at the beginning of this episode, which I want to apologize to both you guys for because I love what both of you guys do. And uh, and, I, and I'm really, you know, I'm, I've always have a lot of respect for both of you. Um, Anthony, could you plug your some of your work real quick? Sure. I am the co-host of the Scottish Liberty Podcast. I can say resoundingly, it is the most uh, popular libertarian podcast coming out of Scotland. Um, 
I also do a personal <laughs> development podcast called Be Yourself and Love It, which is also available on iTunes. Thank you so much for having me on your show again, and I hope you won't let uh, the more heated moments of our free trade debate uh, get in the way of our repeat appearance. Oh, are you kidding me? I I loved it, and to be honest with you, uh, I'm sure we'll have more discussions about that down the road sometime. But you know that doesn't that's not going to come in in between the fact that uh, you coming on the show or or engaging in conversations with us. There is no way. Um, I like I said, I have a lot of respect for you, Anthony, and I'm really appreciative for you coming on to to the show tonight. Um, and Orwell, could you plug yourself real quick and, and tell us what you're working on and what you have going on right now? Sure. At the moment, I'm busy up to my eyeballs because I'm doing a master's degree and try to run four plus streams a week on my YouTube channel. I have a very popular Twitter account. So that's where I devote most of my time on social media. I also run a Facebook page on a Gab account and just looking to uh, um, get as much knowledge as I possibly can and look write my first few books in the upcoming year. Okay. So, so can you tell us what is it that you're pursuing your master's degree in? Uh, economics, applied economics, but it's in Spanish. It's, I'm in Argentina, you see. Oh, okay, okay. Well, you, you had, <laughs> I, maybe I missed something because you, you, your accent doesn't necessarily sound Argentinian. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, very good, very good. Well, as I said, I have a lot of respect for both of you. I'm very appreciative any time either one of you take the time to come on my show. Partially, too, like Anthony, I know that it's a crazy time of the night for you. So, uh, you know, again, thank you very much, and uh, I hope you will come back on the show with us. And, uh, Thanks for having me. You as well. No, no, it was it was all of our pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you very much for a great show. Thank Good you night. so much for having me on the show. I love the title of the show. It continues to amuse me. And uh, you guys are great, and I love how in a short time you've built up such a great following that is uh, something to be really 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 proud of well thank you very much um i'll tell you i just i I started our closing music but apparently we're having a little bit of a technical (laughs) difficulty so (laughs) but um again i'm i'm uh thankful for you guys being on the show and uh i hope you have a good evening or what's left of it good morning for you anthony (laughs) <laughs> That's right. Good night. Night.